Hey, this is Jeff. Grab yourself a cup of coffee and join us at the table as we talk to another great leader about faith, church, and leadership. Welcome to the Leadership Drip. Rob, welcome back to the table with the Leadership Drip. And I'm just going to say it right up front. I am geeked out about our guest today. You knew I grew up playing baseball, right? I did. I did. And and the guy on the show today is one of the sweetest swinging left-handed hitters Ooh. in the game of baseball. Yeah. Um, no, it's not King Griffey Jr., for those who might be guessing at home. It is the one and only Daryl Strawberry. And we're not here to talk baseball. Daryl has a great story of how he came to Christ. He's got a brand new book out uh, called Turn Your Season Around, and we're excited to have him. Daryl, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So we do have to talk baseball for a minute. Just so a second. What was your favorite park to play in? Shea Stadium. Oh. Uh, well, because it's home. You know, home cooking is always better than being on the road. Even though I love playing on the road, I love going into the enemy ballpark and being booed because I always thought it was exciting uh, when people boo me because that means they know I'm in the ballpark. Yeah, <laughs> we, we we were talking before the show. Daryl hit three home runs in Wrigley Field, and if you're gonna be booed anywhere, it's Wrigley Field. Home run one, they threw the ball back and booed him. Home run two, they threw the ball back and booed him because we're doing Wrigley. Home run three, they gave him a standing ovation. And thought we're not winning today. We're just gonna celebrate him. <laughs> So uh, I watched that well, game. Well, the Cup fans, Cup fans are great. Yeah. yeah. The Cup fans are great fans. They're great fans. And yeah. uh, Jeff and I are also talking before the show uh, a little bit. We love that 30, by, uh, 30 for 30 documentary about Doc and Daryl. Yeah. An incredible sort of uh, storyline there. That was, that was fantastic. That was so good. in regards to that, walk us through kind of how you went from drafted in 1980, you made the Mets ball club in 83, instant success. How did you come to Christ in the tension of sort of the limelight and the success of, of everything happening in New York? Well, that was a process, you know, and, and I think I, I think the reasons for coming uh, because my mother was laying on her face praying for me and I, I didn't realize that. And, and she passed away in 95. And when I found the journal under her bed, she was praying that God would knock me off my throne, which was wow. living a successful heathen life, rich, famous, privileged. Um, community gates and, you know, thinking I had it all. But in the end, it was my mother doing the praying and she wasn't concerned about my baseball career. She was more concerned about uh, my soul and my salvation. And and I think it just came to pass over, over the prayers that she prayed over all of us because not only did I get saved and, and become an evangelist, but I ended up leading my whole family, you know, to the Lord. And, wow. you know, that, that's because of a, a praying mother, you know, and, a lot of times people don't understand and, and realize what a mother's all about and, and a life. And cause I didn't have a father, you know, my father was alcoholic and he rejected me. And I went on to play major league baseball and be successful and become this great athlete and everything. But um, I always say my pain led me to my greatness and my greatness would eventually lead me to my destructive behavior because it doesn't matter how well you look on the outside and how much you have on the outside. When the inside is broken, it's mm -hmm. broken, and only one person can fix the inside of you, and that's Jesus Christ Himself. That's Amen. great. Yeah, I think you know. I think professional athlete, athletes, especially, probably have the only really comparable sort of instant success sort of temptations that perhaps maybe a lot of young people do today with social media. They become TikTok famous, whatever, like overnight, and so learning to deal with all of that attention, all of that success, 
all of the temptations that come with it, all of the rewards that come with it, and learning how to be responsible with that probably puts you in as good a position as anyone to know how to navigate those those pitfalls. So uh, we're on a college campus. We talked, obviously, we're, you know, 5,000 college students here at Lee, um, and a lot of them are are after this idea in some form or fashion of becoming famous. I mean, that's just a part of our culture. So what would be sort of your uh, Daryl one, two, threes of, hey, <laughs> do this, not this, and manage it that way? Well, I, I would encourage them more than anything uh, to have a personal relationship with Christ before you even enter into that. Because the temptations of that and the realistic of that is it, it is real. Uh, it's going to be there and you're going to always be tempted and you're going to get lured in for so many different ways. Uh, anytime, uh, see, brokenness is real. So most yeah. most of us come here and we're broken pieces and, and they have to be put back together. And we can't put them back together. The uniform doesn't put them back together. The uniform allows us to be successful and achieve uh, great things from a, you know, athletic standpoint, but it doesn't make you well on the inside. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. And the money doesn't make you well on the inside either, because all you do is continue to buy more stuff to try to, to fill that empty void that's on the inside. And and I, I would encourage young people, uh, your walk is going to be your life more than anything, because that's the solid foundation that one has to have. I wish I had the foundation I had now uh, yeah. that I had when I was playing, but I didn't have a foundation uh, but I watched a man on my team by the name of Gary Carter, who had a foundation, who was a strong Christian and believer, and he was very successful. But at the same time, he was free. He was happy. He was wondering why was he always smiling? See, when you when you have Jesus, you you become free, and 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 stuff doesn't make you free. And I think so many people uh, get themselves so consumed with uh, I want more of this, and if I had more of this, it's going to make me better. It's, it doesn't make you better. You know, when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you read about King Solomon. King Solomon had everything, you know, the richest, the wisest man in Jerusalem. But he goes on to say it's meaningless without, under the sun without God. It all is meaningless. It's all just stuff, you know. Yeah, and yeah. at the end of the day, it becomes meaningless. And, and without that, that what I was talking about that he talks about in that book about the empty uh, void on the inside of us. It's a God shape. Only God can fill that empty void on every last one of us that's missing on the inside of us. And, and so uh, accumulating stuff and fame and fortune, I, I've had trophies, I've had homes, I've had cars, I've had money, I had everything. But the greatest thing I received was a personal relationship with Jesus Christ himself and learning to live an abundant life and not free, not, not about stuff, but an abundant life free on the inside and being able to uh, do God's will more than anything. Yeah, I love Amazing. that. So, so talk about Gary for a minute. Was there ever moments in the clubhouse or out to dinner or on the road where where his faith became part of the conversation between you and him? Well, his faith was actually walked out. He just lived it right in front of all of us, you know, because all of us couldn't understand it because we were so blinded, you know, because we were consumed with earthly things. Mm-hmm. And, and he had this wonderful way about him that he would turn the cheek when somebody has some smart to say about him you know because he's because he smiled all the time and he was happy and you know guys could guys could see he was different we just didn't know what it was a lot of guys thought it was fake but i knew he was different i was like man i want what that guy has because he's happy and he loves his family 
Uh, he's not consumed with uh, nightlife. You know, he would go out to dinner with us. Uh, he would never, he was not preachy to us. Uh, he didn't condemn us, any of us. Uh, he would go out to dinner with us. And then after dinner, he would say, okay, I'll, I'm going back to the hotel and I'll see you guys at the ballpark tomorrow. And, and we just like, come on, Gary. Everybody was like, come on, Gary, going to party, going to chase the girls. He was like, no, I'll see you guys tomorrow at the ballpark. And, and he would just go. But that, that was remarkable to be able to do that, right. uh, to be able to have that kind of self-control and self-discipline about yourself around your teammates yeah. and never, never cross over into that. That that is amazing. The the eighty that the sort of span of the eighties the of the Mets when they were highly successful. It's been well documented yeah. that that they were a party crew. You know, I mean, it was well documented. And so for Gary's testimony to reach that far is is amazing. And it's it's interesting to hear you say, Daryl, that that's something you desired and you saw it. So were there moments along the journey where where God was even in the baseball season before the 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 journal that you read in ninety five that you saw the Holy Spirit sort of starting to speak to you in, in that process? I saw, yeah, there were, there were always moments and signs, I think, because my mother had been praying for me and my mother had been praying for my, my salvation and, and mm-hmm. not, the, not the success of me and everything. And so many mothers pray for athletes and their sons and entertainers, you know, that they be successful, but do you want them protected? My mother wanted me protected, so I know it was covered in so many ways. And, and yeah. my mother had... My mother on her deathbed was telling me that God had called me. And, and I was like, mom, don't tell me that. You know, I just, <laughs> I just kept running. I didn't want to hear it, you know. And, and she's like, don't, don't worry. He's going to, he, he spoke to me and he says he's going to get it out of you. And, and she was right, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I didn't know it would come to pass like it did. That I, but I, I, I could sense that, you know, God was always there with me, even in, in the midst of all the trials and tribulations, you know. Of, of addiction, you know, uh, uh, cancer. Try. I mean, I should be dead. So I know it had to be the grace. I know it had to be yeah. the prayer uh, for my mother covering me. And then I would reach this place, you know, going through these different times, but I just wasn't ready. You know, I was, and, and you, you got to get to a place where you, you're not a hypocrite anymore. You're not straddling that fence, you know, and, and it's not, oh, it's just Jesus because we know his name, but we deny his power. You know, and that's, that's what it was for me. I knew his name like a lot of people, but I didn't know his power and I didn't know the significance of how good he really was until I actually entered in and started laying with him and, and resting with him and studying and saturating myself in the word. Then the revelation of who you become is in the Bible and it becomes what God created you for. Because he created us for more than just being here and then taking up space and you know i just want to take up space because i was a great baseball player and, and I, I achieved all these great things but at the end of the day uh, my life would turn to be meaningless i didn't want that so i always had this yearning yearning inside of me where i wanted to i wanted to come to a place uh fulfilling you know the real purpose of my life you know because i think we all have a purpose but do we actually, uh, really know that and do we actually step into it yeah so let, let's kind of jump uh, up just a little bit, fast forward a little. So you became a believer, you became a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus. Uh, at that point, you probably began to realize that some real work had to be done in your heart, in your mind, in your life, in terms of being transformed from who you were to who you are now, becoming that new believer, that new creation in Christ, Second Corinthians chapter 5. So what were some of those key pieces that helped you solidify your faith and grow in discipleship once you, once you became a believer, what was, what was that process like for you? 
Well, it was a very challenging process because I, I came a believer and, and I got radically saved at a more Cirillo uh, crusade in, mm -hmm. in California in 1991. And I had just signed a you know, $20 million contract and I was miserable. My, my life was falling apart. I was an alcoholic, womanizer, and all these things. And my life was falling apart. And I go to this crusade and then the power of God comes over me. Uh, and then, you know, a guy there said after that, you know, after I had that encounter with Christ, he said, your life will never be the same. All hell is going to break loose in your life. Little did I know I didn't go through a period of discipleship. And I think that's what so many Christians miss, miss more than anything is the discipleship part. And there I go, for, I go back for the next, what, 10 or 12 years, uh, yeah. back, back in a sinful way, sinful lifestyle and everything. And, and then I come back, then, you know, I, I come back, the way I came back was uh, God led led me to my wife, who's my wife today, Tracy, you know, God led her into my life. And, you know, it's like, like 20 years ago, you know, I'm 17 years in recovery now, but she's 21. So 21 years ago, when we met, you know, I was shooting dope and smoking crack and she was pulling me out of dope houses down in South Florida and, and saying that God's got a plan for you. And I was like, well, why don't you, you and that God just leave me here and just let me die. And she was like, well, you're just not that lucky, you know? So what I'm trying to say to you guys is, is, is what we all know, God is always going to do what he's always done. He's always used people to help people. Yeah. Just like, just like he did in the Bible, you know, all the people, different people that he called, he used them to help people. And, and that was the same thing in my life with my, my wife, you know, I, I always say God has, has a great sense of humor because I was such a womanizer and I like women. I committed adultery, you know, married two wives and, you know, divorced them, hurt them. Uh, just so many wrongs and, and hurt kids and everything. There was just so many wrongs done in my life. And then God had my mother praying for me and she goes home to be with the Lord. And then he sends Tracy in my life and he sends two women in my life that would straighten me out. This is a real, real incredible time of my life that, that would show me his love and his grace and his mercy. And it was through my wife, Tracy, that she would come with me and we would break up, but eventually she would, lead me back to the cross mm -hmm. um, and, and, and lead me back into church. And when I got back into church this time with her, I just remember what, what God was speaking to, you know, me was just sitting in the back of the church, not, not a front, don't be celebrity, well-known, blase, blase, because I need you in the back and I need you to get discipled. And what people don't understand, guys, is I set, God set me for seven years, seven, wow. seven years of discipleship, you know, and, and so I can grow and grow into what he wanted me to grow into. Cause I, I didn't know he had a platform that would be uh, this big, you know, that he would eventually put me on and would call me to be evangelist and, and standing in front of thousands preaching the gospel. And, but I knew that he, that process he took me through seven years was so important. So I would understand the word of God. So I wouldn't stand in a pulpit and have the devil strangle me and choke me because he said the devil will choke you if you don't know the word of God and you don't live by it. And, and so I, I was grateful for the seven years of sitting and growing and, and developing into who God wanted me to be. And it was just, it, it, it was a hard time. It was, I would call it like the wilderness, you know, which is yeah, yeah. something that we, that we have to go in and, and, and go away and, and God separated me from everybody else. And, and there I was, um, you know, coming to coming to the place where God wanted me to be uh, this person that I am today. Yeah. So I got a question about that, Daryl, the seven year process, because I, we've talked to a couple different athletes. We know athletes, especially high level athletes, they don't like to be benched. Like they, they're ready to get in. <laughs> like, like if they're, they'll play hurt, they'll play sick, they'll do whatever. 
So, so as somebody with that sort of wiring and that personality, tell me how, how you were patient and the Lord maybe caused you to be patient to be benched that seven years when probably in that process, he started calling you and letting you know in, in on what he was going to do in your life. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Cause like you said, a lot of us don't like to sit and, you know, I, I wasn't a guy that was on the sidelines sitting. I always wanted to be in the game, but this time I realized that I had to sit because I wasn't equipped, you know, and I knew I wasn't equipped and I, I, I knew standing up and speaking, speaking at events before and talking about God and just really didn't know who Jesus was, you know, just knowing his name. And I, I knew this point because uh, I, I watched my wife and she was, she was growing, you know, she was just growing leaps and bounds with God. And I was like, well, God, why are you always speaking to her? And he goes, well, because she spends time with me. Mm, that's good. You know, and, and I realized there that I was on the wrong track. I wasn't spending time. So, cause I, what I say about that, cause is I see her every morning, you know, still from 21 years, you know, us being together and seeing her, how she wake, wakes up every morning at 530 and rolls out of bed and she go be with God. And I was like, God, I'm not waking up at 530 in the morning, every morning, you know, <laughs> that just wasn't my kind of thing. But, but I realized, <laughs> but, but I realized, I realized one thing guys that I had to spend time with God. I had to lock myself up in the room. I had to saturate myself in the word. I had to remove the television. I had to remove the cell phone and I had to get serious. And if I really wanted to know uh, the purpose of who I am and, and the calling up on, on my life, I had to get very serious about that. And, and I did that through a period of seven years, you know, just uh, spending time and growing and studying and, and really just isolate myself. All the guys I played ball with, you know, they were like, yeah, let's see how long this could last. Mm-hmm. And, and it's been 17 years. I'm still in the same place doing the same thing and just growing and continuing to grow in God. And I don't point my finger at nobody because I learned from Carter and I learned from my wife. You don't point your finger at people. You just, you just go on and you move forward. You know, you just keep moving forward and doing what God's called you to do. So I, I think that was my period of what I had to go through. And, and I'm glad I had to go through it. Was it hard? Yeah, it was very hard. I mean, because when I started this journey, what people don't understand, I was $3 million in debt and I didn't have a driver's license. I had cancer twice and I lost my left kidney in my second surgery. And I ended up in a Florida state prison with a T17169 because of addiction. So really God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Mm-hmm. And, and because he had a bigger and a better plan than I could ever imagine or think. And it wasn't until I got disciplined and he says, I want you to get disciplined like you were disciplined playing baseball. The way you train yourself playing baseball, you have to train yourself after me like that. And when I realized that, that I had to do that, um, I started to understand that maybe one day God had a plan for me. I didn't know what it was. Uh, I had no idea it, it would be the platform that he has put me on today. But I, I realized that I stayed and I did not go back and I stayed committed. And, I, and not with my head, I stayed committed with my heart with God. And, and I walked through every step that I had to walk through. So it was a great learning lesson for myself to be able to learn that because I realized one day that he, he was going to call me. For, he was going to, he was, he would pull me from the pit of life and he would put me in a poor, poor pit mm. to preach the gospel. And I'm not qualified to preach the gospel. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, so you, you talk in a lot of different venues and spaces and uh, a couple years ago, 
Uh, you came to Saddleback when I was on staff there. You did a men's retreat there, and that was great. It was fantastic. Um, and certainly one of the things that we're seeing on college campuses, not just our college campus or Christian college campuses, but in college campuses in general, there's, there's a crisis in young adult males in, in discovering who they are, what their identity is, in the climate and the culture and kind of which we live. And so um, if, if you could speak to young Daryl right now, or if you could speak to a young college guy on campus right now, what are some things that you would teach them or tell them or share with them to help them sort of discover their identity, figure out who they are in Christ, to live in that sort of space of being a man, but also being being a believer and, and navigating our culture. So uh, what are some things that you would say to, to young guys uh, here on campus? Well, I would tell young guys, don't, you're very unique. Just be yourself and, and, and be committed and stay very disciplined. And discipline is the key for, for young guys today is to stay within themselves and, and don't try to be like nobody else. I mean, I think too many of them are trying to be like somebody else. You know, God has created us all and we're all different. And, and that's for a reason. And he wants you to fulfill the promises over your life. And you can't, young people can't fulfill them if they're identifying themselves as someone else. And I think that's what our younger generation of guys do. They, they try to stand up and want to be on a platform and sound like this guy and sound like that guy. Uh, sound like who you are. Mm. Be who you are. You know, uh, be strong in you, believe, you know, keep the belief inside of yourself um, and rather than looking at someone else because you, you can't be anyone else. That's just like saying baseball. When I played baseball, my favorite player was Pete Rose, but I never wanted to be, I would, could never be the player Pete Rose was, so I had to be me. Pete Rose was a totally different kind of player than I was, but he, the reason why I say he was my favorite because he was a Charlie Hustle and, you know, his uniform was always dirty. And I thought, Hey, that was cool. His uniform dirty <laughs> playing baseball. <laughs> so, and, and, but I, you know, I, I idolized him as, as, as who he was, but I went on to be who I was and everything. So I think that's what's missing in a lot of our young people. They're more consumed with the identity of social media instead of the identity of who they are in Christ. Yeah, I think that that's where I think that I think that's where a lot of them go wrong uh, of trying to be something else. So they got to be they got to learn they got to learn to stay disciplined. You know, you got to control yourself, self-control, control your mouth, control your you know, you know, your feelings and all these different things. They have to learn how to deal with that because if they don't they're going to be out of control, you know, and I I know a lot of schools um uh, I've had a lot of trouble, you know, some like Liberty, you know, because you try to be a D1 school and you're a Christian school and, and, and you bring all kind of different, you know, all kind of different challenges in and now all the temptations are there and guys find themselves getting into trouble. So, you know, yeah. young guys, young guys, young guys are the future. You know, I always speak to the younger generations because it's so important because they are the future of who we are and moving forward. Yeah. I'm about to make an admission here. More than once in a wiffle ball game, I pretended to be Daryl Strawberry. <laughs> I was right-handed, but I'd have to like in wiffle ball against the kids. Like I'd have to hit left-handed so I wouldn't crush it. So I'm more than once. How are you? You're left-handed. It's, it's a complicated story. Yeah, I was right you left-handed. left-handed. My brother's left. No, I right left-handed. But I play sports right-handed. Right. So no, no, no. Oh, my okay. brother, my brother's a left-handed athlete. 
and his favorite was Mark Grace. So, but every once in a while he would take on the strawberry swing, that big <laughs> swing. So, so I pretended to be Daryl Strawberry time or two, not be myself. So, so Daryl, I want to want to kind of unpack this though. Your 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 mom lets you know about the calling of God in your life. You went through this process of a seven year discipleship plan. Um, when did when did the calling to preach take hold of you? A little about twelve years ago. Um, my wife had been praying, you know, that God would knock me off my throne again, you know, because there I was. I wasn't. I was walking with Christ, but I wasn't doing what she believed God had called me to do. And so all my friends kind of live in New York and they're all Jewish and they all kind of like wealthy. So they all was going into business and they wanted me to go into business with them. And they wanted me to start going to the restaurant business with them. Mm -hmm. So I opened up a restaurant in Queens and we were about to expand in the city. And there was, you know, after two, a couple years of, of having a restaurant business, cause my wife was like, God's called you for ministry. I was like, well, I'm doing ministry, but I'm not doing it that the way you want me to do it. Yes. <laughs> so, so there was, you know, there was after years, a couple of years and getting ready to expand. As soon as I got ready to expand, I was still doing ministry, but I went out to preach one day in Long Island and I invited all my Jewish friends and that, that I was in business with. And they came to hear me preach and, and it was just something different. They, they, they just, they saw something in me and they were like, you're different. You know, mm -hmm. not that they didn't love me, but they were just they knew you were different. They were like, you're different, you know? And, and my manager that I had for like 30 years, he, he just like took off because the power, he saw me preach and he knew I was different. He saw me talking about Jesus and he just knew I was different because he saw me when I was a heathen. He knew who I was back in all those days. And, and he goes, you're real different. And I say, yeah, you know, and then it, then God called me and said, close the restaurant. And I wouldn't close it at first. And then after six months, he made it so miserable because they all stopped calling me like they regularly was calling me all the time. And then after six months, you know, he says, I was looking out this window um, on, on the West Side Highway in my apartment. And he said, you ready? And I just lost it. I cried. And I says, I'm ready. And he uh -huh. says, you're crying, right? He says, you're crying right now. But he says, you know, you and Tracy have no idea what I'm about to do with your ministry. And he says, you're going to be preaching in arenas and I said, I don't want to preach. He says, you're going to preach. And, and he says, the Holy Spirit is going to send up on you. And he, he says, saturate yourself with him. He's going to teach you the Bible supernaturally. And, um, and he did. I saturated myself with the Holy Spirit. He started teaching me the Bible and scriptures supernaturally. And I started preaching supernaturally. And, and he was said from that point is like, I need you to go forward and, and, and do what I've called for you to do. And don't ever look back again. And from that from that point on, I never look back. I just, I've been going forward, you know, all the people that I, that I were surrounded, my friends, my Jewish friends are still close to me because I always remind them, you guys are the chosen people. <laughs> you need to know who you are. You know, yeah. I said, and, but all the other friends, you know, they separated and they, they went separate ways and everything. And, and I've been, you know, I've been on this journey. I uh, started preaching about 12 years ago and, and I hadn't looked back. It's just, it's been an incredible ride that, you know, God has really given me and, and to love people. And, and, and I remember when he called me, he says, I, I'm going to use you. He says, I want you to go back. I want you to go watch Billy Graham. He mm. says, I'm going to use you to be a soul winner. Billy Graham was the greatest soul winner. You know, I didn't realize what kind of soul winner he was until I actually saw him winning souls. And he said, this is what it's all about. Winning souls is being the evangelist and winning souls and bringing them back 
you know, to the cross and letting the church clean them up. You bring them back and the church has to clean them up. Yeah, that's so good. And I love, I love, you know, kind of the, the engagement, the sort of the, the negotiation, you know, I think, Jeff and I've been there many times. Yeah, we we listen as preachers. We yeah. both have said no a couple of times. Yeah. Like the Lord's like, you're going to preach. I don't, I don't think, think so. so. That's not me. <laughs> then right? then yeah. the Lord catches up to us, and here we are now. But, but that whole negotiation process, I think, with God, and, and we we've had Beth Moore on the show. We've had so many others on the show who also talk about this negotiation process because I think in our hearts and our minds, we we kind of have this vision and this idea of what we want to do what we want to become, what the best use of our gifts are, et cetera, like that. But, but I think, you know, what you're saying and what you're echoing so many other people and what we've said on the show so many, so many times is that God truly understands and knows you better than you know yourself in mm-hmm. the plans and the purposes that he has for you uh, from, from before you're born, Ephesians chapter two, Psalms 139, you could list all the scriptures there. They're really, really good. And the, the extent to which we're willing to submit ourselves to him and to his plans, I think is the extent to which we actually get to enjoy and embrace the fullness of what God has for you. And it's so cool to see somebody like you, Hall of Famer, home run smashing, you know, Daryl Strawberry talking about this negotiation with God. It's like, he's like, you don't even know yet the platform I've got for you. Right? I mean, it's so cool to see somebody of your stature, you know, your success, your fame, uh, kind of unveil that, that negotiating piece, because I think it, it makes you human for all of us. Right. And, and I think that's the cool part about it. And so if you're listening, negotiate with God, but understand he wins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you're right. You're so right about that. I mean, it, it is a negotiating part that we all go through. It's, it's because we feel unqualified. Yeah. You know, you don't feel, you, you don't, if you feel if you feel overly qualified for this job that he calls you to do, then you don't need to be in it because you're going to screw it up. You know, and it's when, when you don't feel qualified and, and know that it's not about you, then you can remove yourself from it. And that's where I had to get to over a period of time. You know, I'm very comfortable in, in, in who I am today and, and knowing that it's not my gift, it's his gift. And right. all I have to, all I have to do is show up and, and, and it's going to speak through me because, you know, it's because I trust him, you know, and that, that's the whole part of it. If I, if I put myself in the place, guys, of, of getting in the way, I'm going to screw it up. And, and I don't ever want to do that. I told God, I said, I, I, listen, I don't ever want to screw, screw up your platform, you know, because this is not about me. It's your platform. I know you stopped me. I know you called me. I know what you've done inside of me. So I don't ever want to make it about me. So I, I, want, to, I want to always make, remind myself to be like Moses, you know, a man who walked with humility and meekness, you know, and, you know, had a speech impediment and I, I'm not qualified. And, and I remember telling our God that I was, when he was calling, I said, well, I'm not qualified to preach. He said, no one is qualified. I qualify to call. And, you know, and then I realized that he was serious about what he was talking about. And now I started to enter in with this walk with him. But at the, at the end of the day, he's it's still his gift and he is Lord. I'm not Lord. I'm just a vessel that's being used by him. But I use, I remember my, got to remind myself all the time that he is Lord, not me. And if I can remember that, then I'm able to do the things that he needs me to do. And I think one of the cool things about your story and probably so many others that echo similar types of situations is that in your story, you're very transparent about who you are, where you've been, what you've done. 
but you never really glamorize the sin. You always just allow God to maximize the mistakes. And I think, I think for, especially for young leaders, they think they have to create an Instagram level image in order to be successful. But actually that's not the case because God is strongest in your weakness and he maximizes our failures. He multiplies our mistakes when we're humble and we submit to him. And I think you've modeled that very, very well. And I think as young leaders, you know, that's something we need to be aware of is that God actually can use every aspect of our journey, every aspect, all of it, even the garbage, yes. right? And so well, I think well, yeah. the thing about it. You, you make a very good point there. And, and that's the problem that what happens with so many young leaders, you know, so many guys that want to get on a platform and it's because they communicate because they can't communicate, but can you live? You know, can you live outside of just getting on a platform and communicating after you step down from that? Because the, the challenge, the real challenge is going to be the enemy's going to challenge you, you know, and, 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 and if you, if you're not equipped all the way, he's, he's going to deceive you. Yeah. He's going to deceive you into believing your own hype. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So some of our baseball fans may know you for non-baseball fans may know you for somewhere else. You were on the Celebrity Apprentice for a season and that was a big sacrifice for you and your family and you faced a lot of challenges. Tell us a little bit about the the temptations of the that season and and why you chose to do that. Well, because my close friends are, you know, they work for you know, who was President Trump now, you know, they worked for him at that time. They still work for him. And they kept pushing and he kept asking me to come on the show. And I was like, no, nah, I don't want to come on the show. You know, and my wife was like, no, you don't need to go on that show. I've, I've seen it and it's like really crazy. And, <laughs> and then eventually, <laughs> excuse me, then eventually I just decided, well, I'm going to go on it. And I went on it. And, and behind the scenes were really just bizarre you know just a lot of you know a lot of drinking a lot of in-house fighting mm -hmm. um a lot of cutthroat stuff and i just saw myself and i was like well this is really not for me you know I, after after a while after i finally got on the show and but i eventually came back after after i got fired and I came back to to help um brett michaels you know who i became real close with and yeah. and help him go on to win the whole thing so I mean, it, it it was a great challenge. It was a great sacrifice, but knowing who I was in Christ, I had to pull myself out of that because I, I couldn't allow myself behind the scenes to, you know, to react in certain ways or, and I wasn't going to get back involved in, you know, drinking and stuff like that because I had already been through that phase of life and I had changed my entire life. So my wife gave it to me. She laid it into me, but, um, you know, I got through it and, you know, I got through it and it was just being a good, being a good sports, you know, uh, yeah. person and, and being able to help out, you know, some people was, was really good at the end of the day. Yeah. I think there's a strong message in this conversation today. Find a good wife. True. Who's willing to call out your stuff, <laughs> right? And keep you, uh, keep you in line, right? I, I'd like to meet Miss Trace at some point, yeah. like my kind of woman, but, uh, uh, anyway, so let's shift gears here a little quick because we definitely want to uh, give you a chance to to talk about the book because it's, it's a new release and uh, the book is called Turn Your Season Around. And so kind of give us a, a short synopsis of what the book is about, what the message is in it and uh, and what you hope people will get out of it. 
Well, yeah, turn your season around. I guess it was a book that was being written during the midst of, you know, crisis in, in our country, you know, a racial issues and, right. and pandemic. And I, I had no idea that I would have a title of that when I went into the, went into the book of Turn Your Season Around. And obviously God knew, you know, that it was going to be a book that we all would have to turn our season around after what we've experienced and what we've walked through and what we face. And how do we do that? And it's, it's, it's about how God transforms your life, you know. And I think so many people think it's an overnight miracle of, uh, of being transformed. And it's not. It's a process, you know. And that's what the book is really about. Um, because everybody read my New York Times bestseller, Straw, um, autobiography. And, and I left them there of the beginning of my life moving in a direction. Now, this book here comes with more biblical principles because of it's being it, it was written it's kind of written off the fact of how i preach you know the way i preach the gospel mm -hmm. with scriptures it's downloaded it's full of scripture um it's full of information it's full of god information you know through me not my information it's the revelation that he has given me from you know the the experiences that i've had in life i think your experience in life really sends you forward with God's message when you have experienced some things and you know that he has brought you through some things and what we all going to have to face sometime the challenge is how do we stand what do we stand on what what makes us stand strong and I think believing the Bible and understanding scriptures is, is what uh, keeps a person moving forward when you don't waver and you don't compromise um, you stay committed you stay committed to the word of God and, and the word of God eventually brings about revelation and, and revelation brings about victory. That, that, that's what it's really all about. It's about trying to help people to understand that it is victory in the word of God. You know, it, mm -hmm. it, it sets you apart. It yeah. brings you to the greater purpose of living. It gives you understanding why you're here. You, you get to become a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, because of following God's principles. You get to eat from a land that you don't even know about. When It's just so many things that God has done in my life that he does in a person's life when he brings that transformation. And that's that Romans 12 too talks about it. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, you know, and then and, and once we have the renewing, we, we, we become a totally different person. You become set apart and you become a person of real principles. You live by the principle. And this is what I try to help people understand. Well, everybody's saying, well, why are you like you are? It's because I live by these biblical principles. Yeah. I don't live by the worldly standards. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's great. So Daryl, walk us through really quickly. Just give us a couple snippets from the book. How do people begin this process of turning their season around? Well, you begin that process, first of all, is you got to be persistent. You know, that's the one you got to be persistent after God. You're persistent. You got to be persistent about going after God. And then the second part of it is you got to surrender. You know, you got to surrender yourself to his will, you know, for the promises to be fulfilled over your life. And I think so many of us, we want, we want God hand instead of God heart. Mm. You know, and if you get God's heart, God can give you everything else. If you, if you, if you take his heart and, and you, you give him your heart, cause that's all he wants. And you take his heart and now you become his masterpiece of doing his great work. And what is his great work about guys? You know, this is what the book is about. His great work is about 
loving others and yeah. bringing bringing others to the place of salvation. I think I think as a as a society, I think we've gotten away from what's really important here. Uh, we've gotten away. I, I, it's not it's not about being a brand. I'm not trying to brand myself. I didn't even want to write a book. My wife said, "You need to write that book if God calls you." I was like, "I don't want to write another book. I'm sick of books. You know, I just I got one book I want to read and keep reading." She says, "But it's not about." She said, "It's not about you. It's about what God wants to do through you, and 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 you write the book so that others can understand that your your life lessons, because we all gonna have some. Mm -hmm. Your life lessons is like." Don't quit and don't give up before the miracle, because God still has a miracle waiting in your waiting in your life. And I think, and I think that's like I said, that's the real importance of probably for me writing this book more than anything is 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 to bring hope to somebody else. I just want somebody else to know that God found me in the pit, and He would qualify to put me in a pulpit mm -hmm. before His good. And that's that's the goodness of who God is, you know. And I and try to explain to you know a lot of people like the Bible is full of people with issues. So yeah. <laughs> don't feel like, don't feel like you, you know, you're lost because you got issues and you got some broken pieces. It's about getting honest with God and letting God, you know, do the surgery that he needs to do on, on the inside of you. Let him cut you open and let him get the junk out of your trunk, you know, cause he's the only yeah. one that can get it out. <laughs> and if you allow him to get it out, then he's able to use you to glorify. At the end of the day, it's about glorifying God. And it's about winning souls. Yeah. Okay. And if we can get back to that, I think if we can get back to that, I think that's what this book is really all about is about me glorifying God and winning souls. It's not about me branding myself because the devil, the, the devil is like, like laughing when people talk about branding themselves. He's, he's not afraid of you. He's not afraid of me. He's afraid of what's inside of the great one that lives inside of you. Amen. And that's Jesus. Jesus is the brand. And that's who we need to be like speaking about more than anything. That's amazing. That's, great, that's, that's good. Well, the book is called Turn Your Season Around. You can get it pretty much anywhere books are sold. So uh, we encourage you to get it. And uh, Daryl, man, we've got time for one last question. It's a question we ask all of our guests on the show here in the Leadership Drip. And uh, we understand that you're a unique situation because you were drafted, if I'm not mistaken, right out of, out of high school. And uh, so you never really got the whole full college experience. But that's okay. That's okay. So the question is this, outside of college, what is one lesson that you've learned in life that didn't take place in a classroom, any classroom? Outside of college? Yeah, outside of college, outside of the classroom. What's one lesson that you've learned outside of either one of those two pieces? Well, I, I think the most important lesson I learned out of, you know, any those two pieces and outside of college and and, and the lifestyle that I went in, went into is it's just be just be just be honest with yourself more than anything. Um, uh, if you're broken and you're hurting, be honest with it and let people know. Um, don't stuff yourself because we stuff ourselves with all kind of things. I stuff myself with money, cars, homes, yeah. drugs, women, and you know I stuff myself trying to fill all these all these empty voids that were inside of me. If I would have been honest to myself and say I was broken and I needed help, then I probably would have been able to get some at a young age. And I think a lot of times we're supposed to be strong, you know, because I put a uniform on and I'm hitting home runs and, and, you know, I'm racking in dollars. But at the same time, I'm going home, taking a uniform off and thinking, my God, who am I? You yeah. know, everybody else is cheering for me from this athlete, you know, being, being an athlete, but 
on the inside, you know, I was never honest with myself. And I hurt a lot of people uh, through that process. And, you know, I just hope people can learn from that, you know, not, you know, being honest to yourself, you know, it, it can, it can help you avoid uh, hurting a lot of people and making a lot of mistakes. Yeah. yeah, that's great. It's a great lesson. And Daryl, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Um, as a kid growing up watching baseball, this is a dream come true to speak to you. Um, and it's been a joy and, and I can't, I mean, just, I'm excited. <laughs> it's been fun. Um, He's still geeking out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still, I'm still remember that ball you hit in St. Louis. So, um, and I'm not clock, mad about right? the three off home runs in Wrigley. So. You're talking about that ball hit off the clock in St. Louis. Well, you're talking about the bat- batting practice. I hit, yeah. one, I hit one off the clock in St. Louis. And I live in St. Louis now. Oh, do you? Oh, nice. Okay, great. Great. Yeah. great. Awesome. My, my wife's from St. Louis. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, we, we, we love to have you on the show. And as we always say here at the Leadership Drip, you have a seat at the table. Thanks for being on. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Hey, friends, thanks for listening to this episode of The Leadership Drip. We loved having you at the table for this conversation. Would you do us a favor and comment, rate, subscribe, and share on your social media? That way we can get this content to other great leaders. And stay connected with us on Instagram at The Leadership Drip and on Twitter at Leadership Drip. And remember, you have a seat at the table.